We started the week on the mountain of the transfiguration, and it seemed to Peter at that moment, this is, the, this is as good as it gets. It is good that for us to be here, let us build three tents, let's stay here in this moment of glory. But of course, it didn't last, and uh, they went down the mountain, wondering what it meant, and wondering why Jesus told them not to say anything until he was raised from the dead. And what does raised from the dead mean? That's what we learned on Sunday. Well, at the end of the week, we get this extraordinary parable of the prodigal. You know the story very well. But it's as if that glimpse of glory that we saw on Sunday is now shining once again on the face of Jesus as he talks about his Father's mercy. And the idea of rising from the dead, which of course applies especially to Jesus, applies to any sinner who comes back home. And in the parable, the father says this, my son was dead and he has come to life again. So this is what we're reflecting on today. Yes, the parable, but also the extraordinary lessons that it teaches us. This is one of the most profound of the parables, one of the favorite of the parables. It's, it's also considered a, master, a masterpiece of, of literature, a perfect short story. Every detail, every stage perfectly laid out. Well, how can we reflect on this? You've, you know this story very well. You've heard it many, many times. But it's one of these stories that we like to hear again. It reminds me of the experience of hearing a song that we love. That we love. You say, oh, I, I know that song. I, oh, I don't want to hear it again. Or watching a movie that we've seen before. It's a great movie. I want to see it again. Even though I know the whole story. Last month when I got sick, about, about three or four weeks ago, I, I caught some kind of a virus and I was wiped out for a few days. And I couldn't do anything. I couldn't work. I couldn't, uh, I couldn't celebrate. And uh, I was in bed most of the time. But I did, of course, check my emails, and I did check the, the internet, and for some reason, the YouTube algorithms picked out a song from the 70s that I knew when I was in high school, and I loved that song. And I hadn't thought of it in years. Stevie Wonder was the uh, artist. I don't know if anybody knows Stevie Wonder anymore. But anyway, he was very popular back in the 70s. And in those days, you couldn't listen to music online, you had to either hear it on the radio or you had to buy the record, buy the album. Well, I never bought the record or the album, so I had to wait until it, the song would come back on the radio. And for a few months, of course, it was played over and over again because it was popular and then it faded out and I never thought of it again. Anyway, for some reason, as they say, YouTube picked this out and I listened to this song and I said, wow, this is a great song. I probably listened to it 10 times. You know, it, it was a on YouTube, so there was no video. There was just a picture of the album cover and then the audio track. And I said, this is a great song. I could listen to it over and over again, and just like this parable. But after one, I said, what is this? I don't even know what he's saying. I, I don't, can't get all the lyrics. So I did a little research, you know, Google lyrics, learned what Stevie Wonder was singing. And then I discovered there are a lot of people who think it's a great song, and they've done, um, what do you call that, like... Uh, uh, not investigation, explanation of the music and the lyrics and the development of the bass line and the 
chromatic scale and you know, jazz uh, elements and why the drummer does it like this and all these things I never even noticed, I don't know anything about. And I said, well, there's a lot more to this song than I thought. I just like the horns. I just like the chorus. <laughs> okay, so I'm just, I'm just sharing that little experience because I'm sure you've had experiences like this. There's some things that are just really appealing and, and we just like them, like this parable, but there's the good parts that we like and then there's the parts we skip over because we're just waiting to get to the good part. Like in a movie, I, I don't want to watch this. I've got to skip over to the good part. Well, in the, in the parable, some of the good parts, I think the, the parts that make it so, so appealing are these. First of all, this younger son, even though he's wild, there's something appealing about him, or at least interesting. I mean, here's a guy who's grabbing life. He's, he's going to take the risk. He's going to get out there and do what he wants. And there's something appealing about that. I mean, we know it doesn't work out, but at least he's, he's alive. And not like the older brother who's just so sitting in his resentment. So that, that's appealing, that character. But then what's most appealing about this is how the father responds when that son comes back home. There's something really moving about this, that the father sees the, his son as if he's been waiting for him. He's, long, he's, he's looking for him. And when he sees him, he runs out to greet him. He embraces him. He kisses him. He, he welcomes him with just extraordinary compassion, love. There's hardly a better picture of the mercy of God than this. And that's why when we talk about this parable or we think about it, this is what we think of. We even call it the parable of the prodigal son, but it's the, it's the prodigal who's, who comes back home and he's welcomed home. And that, wow, what a beautiful account that is. That's the good part. And then, you know, we don't always think about all the rest of it, but there are a lot of other lessons here, and I want to pick out a few of them. First of all, let's go back to this younger son. Yeah, he looks like a, a young man full of zest for life. But what we learn from this is that pursuing that zest for life in the wrong way does not lead to a happy end. The idea of the good life turns out not to be that good. In fact, if we pursue the good life according to the desires of the flesh, according to the advertising of the world, if we pursue that good life, what happens is we end up miserable. We think we're going to be happy forever, we end up in the pig sty, starving and, and miserable. Alone, suffering, hungry, and, and, and wondering, how did I end up here? How did I, what, what happened? It reminds me of that uh, stage of that movie, Pinocchio, you know Pinocchio, Pinocchio. Well, there's a, there's a, a, a stage at which Pinocchio is being invited to the island of the, what is it called? Fantasy Island? Pleasure Island? You know, the, you know the part where they, you know, these, you can come and have a good time. And then, and, and there's some evildoers who are like enticing the young boys to come to this, is it an island or a, anyway, it's like a pleasure park. And then when they go there, they turn into donkeys. You know that you know that Pinocchio. Well, maybe you don't know it, but anyway, that's what happens. <laughs> they're they're invited to experience joy, pleasures, candy, 
and, and amusements, rides, these are young boys. But as they immerse themselves in the pleasures, they themselves become animals. Big ears, they grow tails, until if they, and that transformation goes on until they turn into donkeys. And then the, the uh, people who run this establishment cart these donkeys back and put them to work. So they end up being subhuman. Okay, well, that, anyway, that's Pinocchio. But that's, it's a pretty good example of what this younger son experiences. I'm going to go out and, and, and have it all and enjoy it all, and that just doesn't work. And that's a good lesson for us. It's a good lesson for Lent. This is why Lent is important to us. It reminds us that if we don't curtail those desires, if we don't fast, if we don't direct ourselves toward love of God and love of neighbor, we're going to end up miserable. It's not God that has to banish us. We end up putting ourselves in the pigsty. Okay, good lesson there. Now, I, I won't dwell right now on the, on the uh, mercy of the Father, even though this is the center of the whole story. In fact, the center of, of today's whole liturgy, first reading, psalm, and gospel, all about the mercy. The Lord is kind and merciful. But I want to focus now on the part of the parable that we don't like, and we don't focus on that much. That is the older son. We don't call this the parable of the older son. We call it the parable of the prodigal son. And we love, we love hearing that God is merciful to sinners. Of course, we're sinners, and we love knowing that God is happy to have us back. I think anybody who's ever gone to confession knows how great it is to be forgiven. But we don't call this the parable of the resentful son or the parable of the self-righteous son or the parable of the arrogant son or the parable of the judgmental son because we just don't like this guy. It's not that appealing to us. So, But, but there's a lot here. And I think this is part of the, the wisdom of this parable is that the other disposition that cuts us off from God is also exposed here. Yes, uh, living according to the flesh and living for pleasure and running away from the house of God, that is clearly a, a disastrous mistake. But it's also a disastrous mistake to live in pride and judgment and self-righteousness because that also excludes us from the love, from the house of the Father. And that's what's revealed here. This brother won't go into the house. He won't enter the party. Why? Because his brother is a scoundrel and he doesn't want anything to do with him. And because his father isn't fair to him. His father never gives him a party. So why should he go into his brother's party? His anger and his judgment is preventing him from recognizing something great has happened. And we can fall into this. Yes, we love being welcomed ourselves. We love it if the Lord throws a party for us. But what about when the Lord loves others, other sinners? Sometimes we don't love it. It, it, it seems unfair to us. Well, what is this? You know, he did this and that and this and that. I'm supposed to love him? What about me? What about me? I'm, I'm trying to live a good life. I'm trying to serve the Lord. What is God doing for me? 
I hope you can tell that that's, that's in us. That kind of self-righteous tendency is in us all. What's the response to this? First of all, get out of yourself. <laughs> don't focus on yourself so much. Listen to what the Father says. My son, you are here with me always. Everything I have is yours. It's not, it's not that God is not being fair to us or that God is holding anything back from us. It's that we have our own selfish standard of how things should work, and we're imposing that on our loving Father. And so we're doing this to ourselves if we slip into self-righteousness. He says, you're here with me. What do you want? What do you want? I, everything I have is yours. You think there's something more than communion with God? You think God has something better that he isn't giving? Well, then there's something wrong with your mind. And that's, that's true of all of us. There's something wrong with how we think. You think that God isn't really doing it right and not being fair? No. Everything I have is yours, God says. I give you my life. I give you all of creation. I give you my son. I give you freedom from sin. I give you mercy. And I want you to join me in the eternal party, the eternal glory in heaven, which you glimpsed on Jesus' face on the mountain last Sunday. I want this for you. Come into the party. Come into the party. We must celebrate and rejoice, not only because I want you to have this gift, but I want everybody to have it, including this brother of yours, my son, your brother. He has come back to life. That's good news. So if you find yourself in resentment or complaining or judging your fellow sinner to be unworthy of God's mercy, See this older brother in yourself and, and call him to conversion. Tell that young man to enter the party, to let go of his self-righteousness. Tell yourself to let go of all that stuff. That's going to lead you into a condition worse than being in the pigsty. Because, why is it worse? Because in the pigsty, it's obvious that there's something wrong and you're hungry. But if you're in self-righteousness, it's not obvious. You can live like that for a long time and think that you're in the right and everybody else, including God, is in the wrong. So to expose that lie and, and, and reject it, put your focus back on God. The Lord is kind and merciful. Put your focus back on the, the, the abundant mercy of God for everybody who's, who's willing to accept it.